We greet you in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Come on, let's offer God some praise today. Come on, I told you before, if he's a mediocre God, give him mediocre praise. If he's an okay God, give him okay praise. But if he's a great God, come on, somebody give him some great praise in this place. Yeah, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Anybody know our God is worthy? Anybody know he's worthy? He's worthy. Yes, sir. You can be seated if you can. Man, we thank and praise God for God just allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. Uh, how many of you know God is good in the midst of everything? Amen. We have been challenged as a church family. We've had eight, I think nine deaths connected with our church. Uh, we had two funerals last week, three this week, two more scheduled three next week. Uh, but here's the wonderful thing, especially for the believer. Uh, the Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Which means if we know Jesus as our Savior, we're in a win-win situation. Amen, somebody? And so we're just grateful and thankful that the Lord would uh, put us in a situation to know that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're grateful for the memories of those who have passed. I want you to keep the Robinson family in prayer. Reverend Charlie Robinson went home to be with the Lord. His home going is going to be this week. Uh, one of our associate ministers and then one of our great food pantry workers and servants, Sister Anna Looney. Her memorial service is going to be on Saturday here at the church. And so we want to keep the Looney family in prayer as well as the Mays family in prayer uh, on the passing of their loved one. Uh, we're getting ready to go back to school, everybody. Everybody going back to school. And as you know, if you're in the Houston metropolitan area, uh, HISD is in a state of turmoil right now. And whatever side of that argument you fall on, um, I think all of us would have to agree that there was time for a change. Uh, when you have children reading, uh, one out of 10 black boys reading on grade level, two out of 10 black girls reading on grade level, and that was before TEA came, amen? So I don't know why we're getting so mad when the state comes in when we invited them in and literally set them up to come in uh, because our children have been undereducated and virtually unemployable when they walk across the stage. And we're arguing about the wrong thing. We're fighting over libraries instead of fighting over literacy. Because um, our, our people, man, when, we, when it was illegal for us to learn how to read, uh, we had more people learning how to read than we have now. And so uh, I want us to have a word of prayer today for our children, for our parents, and for all of our educators, amen? Uh, let me ask if you are connected, if you have children, not just HISD, but if you have children in the public school system 
and you're a parent or grandparent, I want you to stand. If you're an educator, I want you to stand. Um, I think all of our children are probably over in Children's Church, but if you're connected with anybody uh, who's getting ready to go back to school, HISD opens back up tomorrow, first day of school. Uh, let, let's cover our children, let's cover our parents. Uh, on tonight, on Real World Real Talk, I'm going to talk about uh, tips and practices that parents need to put into effect. Uh, my wife made a statement on yesterday that I think is really appropriate for all of us to make sure we don't get distracted. Amen. Um, we get distracted arguing about what adults want and we'll miss what our children need. And we need to focus on that more than anything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, another session of and another time of going back to school and we cover in believing prayer all of our students all of our young people we cover in believing prayer our parents uh, we cover in believing prayer our educators there's so much confusion going on and we know you are not the author or father of confusion uh, we understand that above any and everything else the well-being of our children should be our focus uh, to educate them, uh, to inspire them to be the best that they can be. And so we pray for our young people. Uh, we pray, God, that they would uh, receive the love and nurturing that they need in the classroom setting. We pray, God, for the parents uh, that they would be focused not on district-wide issues, but on the issues that are concerning their children, to make sure that their children are in an environment of love and a, in an environment where they will be able to learn, and our grandchildren as well. And then we pray for our educators, many of them struggling with uncertainties, unfulfilled promises, uh, not feeling supported by the administration, not knowing what's coming and what's next. I pray, God, that you would give them assurance and help them focus on making sure that they do their best to positively impact student outcomes so that our children would have the best learning experience and opportunity they can possibly have. God, where our prayers fall short, we make up the difference. We ask you to make up the difference. We know that you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think. When it was illegal for us to read, there were still those who broke the law and taught us to read. When we were in substandard buildings with secondhand books and secondhand uniforms, God, you produced out of that generation per capita more engineers, more doctors, more lawyers, more engineers. And God, I pray that we would take responsibility again for our own education and not ask but demand what is going to help our young people in our community. We love you and we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now today, after this service, we have our discovery seminar for those of you who are new members or for those of you who are interested in finding out more about the church. Lunch is served, and we would love for you to learn more about the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. 
the Discovery Seminars. This is Seminar 101 around church membership. Uh, we'll give you information about our salvation, our statements, our structure, our strategy, so that you can learn more about this church and find out if this is the place where God wants you to be. And if it's not where God wants you to be, we want to help you find out where God wants you to be. To our visitors today and those who are watching via the World Wide Web, thank you for being with us. Thank you for letting us in your space to inform your head, inspire your heart, and encourage your spirit to be all that God wants you to be. Remember, you're not watching to make us a big church. We're here to help you become the biggest and best Christian you can possibly be. Like us, love us, share us with family members and friends. Let them know there's never been a better time for hope. Rooted and grounded, make some noise. This is our third installment of Rooted and Grounded and the Rooted curriculum in particular. Uh, we did church-wide beginning in April. In September, the second Sunday, we're going to begin our worldwide emphasis. We're excited. We have people, I believe, now signed up across the country, four different states who are participating in our discipleship ministry. And we have a group in Senegal, West Africa, that has signed up and is going to be participating. So we're going to take hope to the world this time in a very real and positive way. Amen. For those of you who are watching, wherever you are in 164 countries, this opportunity is available for you. Wherever you have internet, if you have a cell phone, you can join in with us and be part of a community. We want to connect you closer with God, connect you closer with people in the Christian community, and help you connect with people in your specific community so that you can help people who need Jesus know Jesus and help people who know Jesus to grow in Jesus. We've got a testimony today that I want to share with you, and I'm so excited about it. Uh, this young man is such a tremendous blessing, and uh, well, listen, just watch the video. Hi, I'm Dr. D.Z. Cofield, Senior Pastor of the Good Old Missionary Baptist Church. And today, we're going to talk to one of the young men who grew up in our church. We saw him as a child, and we watched him mature, go to college, uh, continue to walk with God for himself, which is sometimes a challenge when you're a PK, and your father's a minister, and your mother is a mighty woman of God in her own right. Uh, but this young man has been such a blessing, and we're just super excited to see what God is doing in his life. I want to welcome to our conversation, Jun Franklin II. Now, he used to go by Jay, but he's feeling that Jun Franklin II. So uh, we're going to call him uh, that and a couple of other things because he's my young Jedi. Jun Franklin II, what's going on, brother? Hey, man, nothing much, man. Just blessed to be here, man. Blessed to be here. It's a blessing to just be on this show. I just wanted to give you my thank you just for seeing the opportunity, seeing something in me and wanting to interview me. And I'm just grateful for all the time that you've given me today as well. Well, man, so, so tell us uh, just about your experience. You know, you, you, you walk with God um, for yourself now, um, but you grew up as a child in, in good hope and you stay connected when you went to college. Uh, now you've graduated from college. You're, you're, you're doing your adulting thing, right? Uh, but talk about, what intrigued you about Rooted and Grounded and why you wanted to get involved in it? Well, you mentioned my uh, mother, who's a strong woman of God. And, you know, just given that, you know, just to, to be a little vulnerable here, you know, I guess my real walk with the Lord by myself has been probably since January. 
you know, I've, uh, you know, I've always known the Lord, but actually, you know, relying and depending on him and not having any other thing to kind of go to, it's been since January. And so I was really looking for a community and my mom recommended Rooted and Grounded. And, you know, that was just a great time for me because I was able to, you know, fellowship with, um, you know, community. So I just, I wanted some, some community to be with and that was a great opportunity for me. So that's kind of how I found out about it. Now, I know you were uh, challenged because you, you went to school in Alabama, right? Yes, and sir. You left Alabama and you went to Charlotte, I think, North yes, Carolina, sir. for a minute. Yes, sir. Now you're back in Alabama. So tell us what you're doing. Well, yes, sir. I work at a bank. I am a underwriter for commercial loans in the middle market. So, you know, I underwrite loans between um, $5 million to about $2 billion. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And I'm kind of waiting on the Lord to kind of direct me and guide my path. You're right. I've been doing a little bit of jumping around, uh, feel a little bit like David in uh, First and Second Samuel, but I know the Lord has a plan. And so he's going to guide me right where I need to be. What would you say about your rooted experience um, as you look back over uh, what you went through there? Those who have said, you know, hey, in order for this to be really meaningful, you got to be in person. Uh, you can't do it on a digital platform. Um, I beg to differ, but I'd like to hear your opinion about just how meaningful an experience it was for you uh, doing it primarily virtually because you live out of the city. Well, Pastor, I, I do want to start off by saying that um, when I do come back to town, my group and I, we're all going to go get something to eat. So if that's not a testimony to how, you know, impactful it was, I don't know what else is because I love to eat. So I think that it's really important to realize that I think it's not about in person. I think about is how much of your heart are you willing to share and how safe is the space that has been created? You know, I think that it, it doesn't really matter if you're within arm's length of somebody, if nobody's really sharing what's on their heart. We had some deep moments on that call. You know, there were some things on that call that people talked about that I was pretty surprised. And, you know, I was grateful for them, you know, being very vulnerable. And I was happy that we created a space for everybody to be vulnerable because I think that, excuse me, but a lot of times we see that the enemy likes to play with secrets. He likes yeah. to uh, keep things in the dark. And so I think that there were people who were, be, who were able to get free. You know, I was, even when I was doing my nice words, it was a few people I was able to speak life into and just tell them that they're doing great and to tell them to keep going and you know that was because they shared how they were feeling a little bit with us and yeah. i just think that the most important thing is getting a group of people together who don't mind you know putting you know putting themselves out there and i think you can't start with that i think it starts off by everybody having a safe environment there always normally is one person who shares something i was able to really share openly how I felt just because I'm so young and I need help. So I, I could really care less about being embarrassed at the end of the day. I'd rather, you know, get my answers and kind of get some guidance and have some people praying over me than just kind of keep all this to myself just because, you know, I know how the enemy works. And so I've tried to like come against the schemes in different forms and fashions. And so I guess that as long as you're open and you communicate and everybody creates an environment where it's safe, I think that it can be very helpful and uh, it can be a great experience. Man, that, that Boy, listen, I wish I had thought of that. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to use it and I'm going to give Jean Franklin the second credit for saying that because I think you just said it so well when we think about whether we're in person or on the digital platform. Uh, it's really not about the medium that we use. It's about the mentality that we come to this with and our openness to 
just be share, just to share, be transparent, be vulnerable. And uh, as you said, to create that safe space. Come on, let's thank God. We got 14 days, 14 days until we kick off Rooted and Grounded. Want to encourage you to register wherever you are. Those of you who are watching across the United States, across the world, you can register today. For those of you who are in-house, I've got several of you who are, I know, slated to be in my group on Thursday night. I'm doing a men's group, but um, you can form a group, start a group, pull people in from around the country. Um, Are the Franklins here? Reverend Franklin, Sister Franklin, are you here? His mom and dad, where are y'all? Are y'all here? Are they here? Stand up if you're here. Are they here? No? Well, let's thank God for them. I know, man, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm peacock proud of, of, of young Jedi, and, and he's not my son, so I know they've got to be super proud of him and uh, just God using him in such a powerful way. Matter of fact, when I got through with that interview, Deacon Page, I told him, I said, look, I want you to be co-facilitator in my group. You're going to hang out with me for the next session. Um, but he was in Deacon Chestnut's group. And, uh, man, just, just a tremendous blessing. Let's thank God for him again, all right? Yeah. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we bless you and thank you for today. We pray now <clears throat> that great seed would find good soil in our hearts and minds that we would be more than just hearers of your word. Help us to be doers as well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a question for you today. Why did God give you an opportunity to experience his grace? Both in terms of your salvation and your sanctification, what was the thought behind God giving you an opportunity to experience his unmerited favor and his extraordinary goodness? I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that there are too many in the body of Christ who have mistakenly come to the conclusion that God has given them his grace for their sake only. That we think God has blessed us with grace so we can experience and brag on the favor of God in our lives. As a matter of fact, there's so much preaching and so much teaching and so much singing that's built around this egocentrism, this meism that has at its core this idea that this Christian life is all about me. And what we fail to realize is when God saves us, when God blesses us, when the favor of God comes upon us, it is not for our sake. It is for the glory of God in order for us to be used by God to be a blessing to somebody else. You see, we are quick to look for and pray for and ask and demand God's blessings to us. But we fail to realize that ultimately God wants to bring blessings through us. Today, for a few moments, I want to continue our series, Making Space for God's Grace. And I want to talk to you from the thought how God's saving grace 
must become your serving grace. How God's saving grace must become your serving grace. You see, many people don't mind making space for God's grace in their own lives. But not enough of us recognize that we're not supposed to only have grace in our lives, but we should have grace coming through our lives. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? Amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. One thing I want you to see today that I hope and pray will give you insight and encouragement into what God wants to do, not just in you or for you, but more importantly, what God wants to do through you. Here it is. Number one, you need to realize you are saved by grace to do good works. You are saved by grace to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now remember in verses 4 through 7 in this same chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about the work of the mercy of God. Then when he gets to verse 8 and verse 9, he talks about the work of the grace of God. In verse 4, we have that contrastive conjunction, but God, right? We were dead in trespasses and sin, according to Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1. But verse 4, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, when he gave us what he, we didn't deserve in grace, and he kept from us what we did deserve in verse 4, mercy. He gave us mercy and then positioned us to experience his grace in terms of salvation. But now Paul challenges us to think about why did God give you his grace? Why did God give you the opportunity to experience his grace? And Paul teaches us in verse 10 that you have been saved to do good works. You have been saved, not just to be blessed by God, but to be God's blessing in somebody else's life. God has saved you to make a difference in the world and to do it out of the same reservoir of grace that you have received. When you think about somebody who is in need of help, For example, there might be somebody that you've been praying about and maybe the Holy Spirit has brought them to your mind and you have said, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to ask them to be in a rooted group. I don't know if I want them in my discipleship group. You know, they can be messy. They can, I don't want to have to deal with that. And God basically is saying to you and to me, listen, the grace of God that I showed to you was not shown to you because you deserve grace. The grace of God was shown to you because you needed grace. And God says to you and to me, the same reason that I gave you grace is the same reason you should make room for somebody else. Not because they deserve it, but because they need it. 
And the more they need grace, the more you need to show them grace. So Paul says, you and I, we have been created to be God's conduit of grace. Look at A. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus or in Jesus Christ. You are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ. Uh, The word workmanship there literally means a product, uh, a fabric, something that is made. Um, God is in the process, listen to me carefully, of making you into what he wants you to be. Uh, The choir sang that song, he's preparing me. Uh, That you are a work in progress. Now, hopefully, God's been working on you long enough that you can show that you've made some progress. Right? I I don't want you to be in the same place today that you were 10 years ago. You should be making progress in your walk with God. Your, Your tongue may not be completely tame, but it should be better than it used to be. Your, your attitude may not be as Christ-like as it should be, but you should be better than you used to be. Matter of fact, you should have some moments when even the Holy Ghost surprises you as to how you responded. Come on, anybody ever had that happen where somebody came at you and you had to look at yourself and say, boy, you sure have grown. Look at you. F.F. Bruce, that noted scholar, says this word for workmanship, poema, means God's work of art or God's masterpiece. Now, it's kind of hard for us to identify with that because when we think about a masterpiece, we typically think of a finished work of art or a finished piece of music that critics have now proclaimed and lauded to be something special, but it's on the other side of its creation. In other words, nobody walked up when the Mona Lisa was being painted and said, ooh, that's a masterpiece. It wasn't until after it was completed and the critics had looked at it that it was declared to be something special and something monumental. But here's what God says. God says, you are my creation. He says, and I am working on you even now. I'm not waiting until you get done, until you cross from time into eternity to declare you a masterpiece, to declare you my workmanship. No, I'm working on you right now. Let let me just throw this in as a side note, because sometimes I think we fail to realize, thank you, Lord, that God is working on us. Sometimes we mistake God working on us for punishment when it's really about us becoming and making progress in our lives. We think it's about discipline. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it's destruction and it's really about God trying to develop us. Let me put a cord in the meter and park there for a second. You've been praying. You've been praying. Lord, make me more loving. I want to be more loving. And then you notice that God tends to bring the most unlovable people into your life. 
And you're like, but Lord, I want to be more loving. And, and God is basically saying, I got to give you some folk to practice on. I, I can't give you more people who are loving and lovable and then make you more lovable. I got to give you some folk that are hard to love, that you can't love without the help of the Holy Ghost. That's the only way you're going to grow in your loving. You've heard me say it before. You say, Lord, I want patience. And God said, oh, okay, you want some patience. And then God makes you wait. And you say, but God, I don't want to wait. I want patience. But God said, if you want patience, the only way you're going to get patience is to wait. And then if you prayed and said, Lord, I want a whole lot of patience. God says, okay, get ready for a whole lot of waiting. Because that's the only way God can build your spiritual stamina to learn how to wait and trust in him. Paul says you are God's workmanship. You are his creation. And he is making you and molding you into what he wants you to be. Look at Ephesians 2.5. Even when <coughs> we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So he quickened us, made us alive, made our spirits alive. But not only has he quickened us, the Bible says he has made us into a new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what Paul is saying. We have received grace, and grace has given us an opportunity to experience reconciliation with God, to be made right with God. Now he says the message of reconciliation has been given to you and given to me. So just like we received grace to experience reconciliation with God, he says you and I now have a responsibility to give that message of reconciliation through the grace of God to somebody else. Amen. Look at B. You are God's workmanship created to do good works. You are God's workmanship created to do good works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good talks, which God prepared beforehand that we should talk in them. No, God is not concerned about your talk. He is concerned more about your walk because he knows too many of us can talk a mile and walk an inch. God says, I need you to put this into practice. The word good there describes what is good in character and good in content. 
He says, I have created you. You are my workmanship to do good works, to do things that are beneficial. Remember what we said. We have a choice with everybody we come in contact with. We can add value to them or we can take value away from them. Let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. I have discovered even well-meaning folk, even people who name the name of Jesus, who are doing good things if they're not careful. In the midst of good things, they will take value away from people instead of adding value to them. Let me give you an example. Um, I was in a meeting with a group of Christians who serve the hurting in our community. And they were talking about the audacity of people who come and need help being choosy. And here's what they said. I don't understand. We're trying to give them food and, and they talking about, I don't want that. I don't want that. Beggars can't be choosy. Now, excuse me. Why can't somebody who doesn't have, have a preference just like somebody who does have? Right? Like, if I don't want milk, why do you got to talk about me because I don't want milk? I may be lactose intolerant. I, 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 I don't know anybody who drinks milk. I don't want milk. Why I got to take milk? Right? If I said I don't want meat, I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan, I don't want meat. Why I got to take the meat? Or if I say I don't eat pork, I only want chicken. Why can't I have a preference? Just because I don't have what you have or we haven't reversed roles. We have to add value to people. When they come... For us, for example, at the food pantry, when we go out into the community to serve, it's a privilege. Not for them to come, it's a privilege for us to serve. Some of y'all still looking at me strange. Listen, it's a privilege to be God's hands and touch somebody with God's love. It's a privilege to be God's mouth. And speak words of encouragement into somebody's life. It's a privilege to be God's arm and give somebody a hug in Jesus' name. It's a privilege. Because watch this. The only reason you can do it is because of God's grace. Shame on you. If you have received grace and don't want to share grace. He said, you have been created to do good work. That word work literally means deeds, actions, activities, right? That, that, that is done, but it's not only done in terms of the right thing, but it's done with the right attitude. And then look at what he says at the end of verse 10. He says that we should walk in them, that we should walk. That Greek word, peripateo, is an interesting word because it, it does not mean in this context to just walk or stroll around. He's talking about a lifestyle. He said that this is the way we should walk. This is the way we should live. This is, this is 
should, should be and marks our everyday attitude in life, right? That, that I don't put on a good attitude to do good works because I'm coming to the church or because I'm going to do a service project with my life group. No, these good deeds, this good work should be exhibited every day of my life. He says, you are a new creature in Christ. And watch this. Because you are a new creature in Christ, you should bear fruit commiserate with your nature. Right? Can I tell you something that I've learned in the body of Christ? I believe, this is my own opinion, that we have spent way too much time lifting the gifts of the Spirit and too much time minimizing the fruit of the Spirit. We want gifts. We want to be on a platform. We want to be on a stage. We want people to look at us and applaud us for a gift that has been given to us that doesn't even belong to us. But we don't want to embrace exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. Right? We don't want to spend time focusing on How's my fruit? We want to spend time focusing on what's my gift. God created us to walk in good work. That's what God created us to do. That's why God has shown you his grace. Not just to receive his favor, but to show his favor. Look at Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10. Let's read it together. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. James in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 talks about the relationship between faith and works. He basically says to all of us, we can't be saved by our works, but our works should be evidence of our faith and our salvation. That you can't be saved and then give cursory, perfunctory words to people that are pious and sound good and then claim you are a child of God. Or watch what he says. He says, what good is it, verse 14, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James says what you, should, what you believe should be matched by how you behave. 
that you can't separate belief from behavior and claim you are a child of God. So he says, if you give lip service and not life service, there's something wrong with your faith. If you see somebody, you say, go be warm, be filled, and you won't give them something to eat or help them find something to eat, there's something wrong with you, not with them. Because what God may have done is put them in your path just to give you an opportunity to display what kind of faith you really have. So, one of my favorite toys growing up <coughs> was the uh, CNC toys. Um, and I love the farmer says. Um, I used, I, I'm going back now when it was first created and it had the pull string, y'all. I almost cried when that pull string broke. I, how many of y'all remember the farmer says, man? Oh, man, I love that pull string. And you point it on the animal, and then the animal noise would be made, right? So you put it on the pig, and, and it says, the pig goes, you know, right? Pull that string, put it on the cow. It says, the cow goes, you know. Put it on the hot horse, you know, the horse goes, Right? Man, I, I mean, I love that see and say. And, and listen, for me growing up in the projects of New York City, I had never seen a pig. I had never seen a horse. I had never seen a cow unless it was on television. That was as close as I was going to get. But you know what I discovered about that see and say? Especially after I moved to the country and we had horses and we had pigs and we had cows. There were a whole lot of things that the CSA didn't communicate. That CSA didn't communicate the smell. That CSA didn't communicate the work. Slopping hogs and pitching hay and, I don't know. That CSA didn't communicate anything about what those animals represented except for the sound. Can I tell you something, my brothers and sisters? The last thing God needs and wants are see and say Christians. You, you know what a see and say Christian is, don't you? Uh, put the arrow on the praying Christian and you pull the string. And this evening, Heavenly Father, me and a few of your handmade servants come knee bent, body bowed one more time. Point the arrow to the cliche Christian. I'm too blessed to be blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Put the arrow on the sympathetic Christian and pull the string. Are you okay? I'll add you to the prayer list. We're praying your strength in the Lord. God does not want Desire or need see and say saints. He needs Christians who are willing to do what God says to do. That's why when we talk about serving, you are serving not so much to bless somebody else. You're serving to experience the blessing of obeying God. That's why when we talk about serving 
We demand that we serve people, not just do good things. See, you can go to the food pantry and pack a bunch of boxes. That's a good thing. But it's when you give those boxes to people who are experiencing hunger, who are grateful for you addressing their food insecurity. That's when you're doing what God has called us to do. And my prayer is we would be more than see and say saints, but we would become see and do saints and make a difference in the lives of those that we have come in contact with. So we will serve through the grace that God has already saved us with. Amen. Amen.